Well, brothers and sisters, this morning, um, I don't know about you, but I hate, well, let me say it this way, I love to be loved by everybody. A lot of pastors do. We, we, love, um, we, love to be, we love to be liked. I think I often can think of my, I can be tempted to gauge my ministry success. How many people like me? Do my congregants like me? Do my students like me as a professor? I can ask that question. And here's the thing um, that we all know. You can't please everyone, can you? And it actually raises the question, do we actually want everyone to like us? Who who doesn't, right? Don't we want everyone to like us? But Jesus says, listen to these words. Jesus says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Woe to you. So, whoa, 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 Jesus, wouldn't it be great if everyone's, what's wrong with that? That's a great goal to have. Everyone speak well. Jesus, no, woe to you when all men speak well of you. He actually goes on to speak of that's how they, that's how they treated the false prophets. The false prophets, everyone spoke well of the false prophets. Can you imagine why? All right, woe to you when all men speak well of you. When I was a kid, I don't know about you kids, but I like to play Star Wars. Right? And in, in Star Wars, the good guys are called what? They're called the rebellion. Right? So to be good, you had to be bad. Isn't that cool? Right? You were part of the rebellion. And the idea was that Darth Vader, oh, the idea, oh, sorry, the idea that Darth Vader would ever speak well of me, that's terrible. Right? That would not be good at all. You can imagine, right? Bruce, come to the dark side of the force. It's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be your friend, right? Bruce, I've got lots of candy, and you can have your own room. Come to the dark side of the floor. No, no, right? Isn't that what, because well, it's a little different context, right? See, we can't please everyone. Listeners, the thing, gang, some people will reject us. The question is who and why them? See, in 1 Peter, 1 Peter's a lot about rejection. It's a lot about Christians who are outsiders, who are regarded as, the, the term often uses foreigners, as those who were exiles, as those who were unwanted outsiders. They were seen as part of the problem. And, and really, the underlying that conflict is something I want to take a little bit of time before we read the text Take a little bit of time to set to give you what, what I might call, I'm going to use a big word, kids, watch out, the political ideology of First Peter. I'm going to do that very simply. So listen to this. If you're a kid, you can actually understand what I'm about to say, okay? So listen to this. Now, how many of you know, how many of you kids know what a pacifier is? Any of you? But I tried to get one this morning, and we didn't, we don't, we didn't have one. But, um, but I, I, the Kimseys are out of town, the Limassons are under the weather, the two families I thought might have a pacifier handy. I wasn't able to come about it. So imagine I'm holding a pacifier, right? Do you know what a pacifier is? Do you know what the point of a pacifier is? Why is it called a pacifier? You ever heard that? One of that? The point of a pacifier is to pacify. And to pacify, listen to this, is to make peace. It's to make things peaceful. Okay, does that make sense? So let's say that you have a baby brother or a baby sister. And they're in their bouncy seat. You're in a little bouncy seat, right? And they're crying. Isn't that the worst? Oh, it won't be quiet. Things are not peaceful. 
They are not peaceful, and, and here's the thing, neither are you. It wouldn't be so bad if they weren't peaceful, but the fact that they're not peaceful makes you not peaceful. So what do you do? You take a pacifier. And, right? You put it in their mouth. And they stop crying. Well, in theory, it doesn't always. It's actually more complicated than that, right? Because they can, like, spit it out and whatever. But let's just say, for the sake of the story, you put it in their mouth, and guess what? They stop crying. And now there is peace. See that? Pacifier. And that's good. That's good. It's a good thing. Right? How could that ever be a bad thing? Well, let me tell you how it could be a bad thing. Okay? Why do babies cry? There are lots of reasons. Actually, no, actually not that many, but there are a number of reasons. Right? And one of those reasons is that they can be hungry. So let's say in theory <laughs> that you had a baby brother who's six years younger and he's crying. You know why he's crying? Because he's really hungry. I mean, really hungry. See, I was in that situation once. Kids, listen to this. I was in this situation, and my mom and dad were out for the evening, and they had asked me to feed my baby brother, Brooks, that's his name, to feed him a bottle of milk and then put him to bed. But there was a problem. My favorite TV show was on. I mean, this is not just any TV show. This is Airwolf. Remember Airwolf from the 80s? I'm sure you all do because it was so good. It was this very plausible story of a helicopter that could go Mach 1. <laughs> it just makes sense. I mean, it just Mach 1 with helicopter. Never mind. Okay. Stringfellow Hawk. I think he was like Russian or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, I love this TV show, right? It was about Stringfellow Hawk and Airwolf, and they're always you know, getting, you know, killing the bad guys and whatever. So when my little brother Brooke starts crying because he's hungry, and I'm watching Airwolf, what do I do? Pop in the pacifier, right? Makes sense? Now, is this a good piece? Okay, think about that question. So this is a, this is a situation, all right? So about 20, minutes, about 20 minutes go by, my older brother, Brian, okay? So I was about nine or 10 at the time. My older brother, Brian, is 16. He's 16 years old, and he, and, and, and he, of course, had been left in charge. My parents, they had left, and now he was in charge, right? Why was he in charge? To keep the peace. Yes? And he walks into the room, right? And he sees that I haven't fed Brooks, and he says, hey, why haven't you fed the little guy yet? And I say, shh, I'm watching TV. Quiet, Right? See, I'm trying to keep things peaceful. And my brother is disturbing the peace, right? I don't want to talk about it. And my brother says, Bruce, that's not fair to your little brother. He's hungry. You need to feed him. And then I get angry. Stop telling me how to run my life, right? Stop being so intolerant. I didn't say that, but that's what I meant. Stop being so intolerant. Don't judge me. You see the politics here? This is very political, actually. Now, what's going, what's going on? My older brother has been left in charge to keep the peace, and I also wanted peace, but our ideas of peace, our visions of peace, were fundamentally at odds, right? And that meant conflict. That meant conflict, okay? Now, Whose idea of peace was better? 
And you may have your opinion, but how do you know? So in other words, who gets to decide whose peace, whose idea of peace, whose vision of peace, who gets to decide whose vision of flourishing is the best one? They can't happen at the same time. See, that's that's politics. Politics is about whose vision of flourishing, whose vision of peace, of, of corporate communal human flourishing is actually better. See, the first emperor of the Roman Empire was a guy by the name of, listen, kids, this is an important history, history lesson this morning. The first emperor of the Roman Empire was a guy named Gaius Octavius. But he's known to history, to history as what? Caesar Augustus. Like in Luke, he's referred to, he's referred to as Caesar Augustus. And when Augustus died in AD 14, on the monuments which were erected all throughout the empire in his memory was written a summary of all the incredible things he had done. Okay, and in that summary, he speaks of how he, are you ready? He speaks of how he pacified the Roman world. He brought peace to the Roman world. And for example, there's a statement that says this, ready? This is from, it was called the, uh, the Race Augusti. Um, the, he says, the Alps, you know, the Alps are the, 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 the mountain, the mountains in Europe. For the Alps, from the region which lies nearest to the Adriatic Sea, as far as the Tuscan Sea, I brought to a state of peace. Right, the Greek is Erena Apoeo, I made peace. Or the Latin is Pacificor. It would have been published in both Greek and Latin. The Latin being the official language of the empire. Greek, the Hellenistic Greek being the, 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 the lingua franca. He, I, says, I, I, I brought them to a state of peace without waging on any tribe an unjust war. <laughs> How did he bring peace to Europe? By not waging an unjust war. Right? So according to Augustus, he brought peace to these tribes. How? Through a saber. Through a sword. By conquering them. And see, and just as my, listen, this is where, listen, remember the story here. Just as my vision of peace was at my baby brother's expense, Augustus's vision of peace was at the expense of an entire people group, people groups. Augustus' peace came through doing his own will, which often meant warfare. Now, with Augustus' reign, uh, there came a period of peace, right? All of you know this. That period of peace is known as class, the Pax, Pax Romana, right? The Roman peace. But of course, it was during his reign that, the, that in the backwaters of the Roman Empire, a Jewish peasant was born, <laughs> Right? According to Luke's gospel, at his birth, a great host of angels appeared to lowly, nobody, trailer trash shepherds. And they announced glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So as with my brother, Christ's peace came, listen to this, Caesar's peace came through doing his own will, often through warfare, but Christ's peace came through doing another's will for another's welfare. Let me contrast those again. Caesar's peace came through doing his will, often through warfare. But Christ's peace came through doing another's will for another's welfare. See, Jesus did another's will so that others could get well. The peace, his peace, Jesus' peace, was through submission and selflessness, okay? 
How compatible were the peace of Rome and the peace of Christ? Well, you know the answer to that if you know how Jesus died. How did he die? On a Roman cross as an enemy of, this, of the empire, right? It was, in, it was in the same way that my older brother threatened my vision of peace, so Jesus also threatened Rome's vision of peace. Are you with me? This is the political ideology. This is, this is why Peter, Peter and, and the, the Christians in 1 Peter are simply not getting along with the Roman world. But here's the thing, gang. Jesus came not only to push back against Augustus's vision of peace, He came back to push against my vision of peace and your vision of peace. He came for a peace that may truly challenge all of us. In fact, Jesus himself in the gospel says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Matthew 10, verse 34 through 36. Jesus says that he came to cause conflict. Isn't that crazy? He came to cause conflict, to divide even the most intimate relationships, and especially here in St. Louis, that is something that can be difficult. Because St. Louis, we're all about family, aren't we? We're all about, we're all about deep roots and, 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 and all through, you know, through our weekends, you name it, uh, holidays, we're with family. And Jesus says, I came to divide that. came to divide. Why would he do that? Why would he, why would, why would he want that? Or who would want that? Why would Jesus have to do all that? Why did he have to be the disturber of the peace? Well, ask, think of it this way. When my brother came into the room and he caused conflict, whom was he helping? Whom was he defending? Answer, my little brother, the helpless, those who were excluded, those for whom peace came at an incredible, un- incredibly unfair cost. Got it? My defenseless, powerless baby brother. See, Jesus comes in to our world. And he announces a peace that is actually good for all. So here's the thing. My brother came into the room being willing to be rejected for the sake of the powerless. Okay? And it's the same with Jesus, that he came into the world to be rejected for the sake of the powerless. I'm asking you this morning, are you willing to be rejected to promote our Heavenly Father's vision of peace? Okay? Now I want to insert you. Let's just take this story here and we'll return to 1 Peter. I'm going to insert you into my story. Let's imagine that you were a sibling of mine and that you came home and my brother had to leave. He had to go somewhere. And he, and he says, hey, look, I, Bruce is in there. He's in the living room. You need to make sure he, you need to make sure that he feeds Brooks and gives him a, a bottle of milk. And on his, on his leaving, as my older brother's leaving, he gives you some advice for how to do that. He gives you some advice for how to promote a a real peace. That's exactly what Peter's doing. Peter is here to show us this morning how to promote a true peace. And it comes through three different ideas, all right? And we'll see these in 1 Peter 12. This won't take long at all, actually. The first piece of advice is be ready for rejection. If you're here to promote Jesus' peace, 
his vision of peace, get ready to be rejected. That's the first piece of advice. Second piece of advice is be confident. Is to be confident. Don't, don't back down. Don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. Don't be fearful. Be confident, but be cautiously confident. We'll see that. Be cautiously confident. And third, and most importantly, be convinced of, of your father's care and control. So be ready for rejection. Be confident, cautiously confident, and then be convinced of God's care and control. So with that, let me read the text. First Peter 4, 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome? What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So Peter says here, if we promote the peace of Christ, if we do another's will for another's welfare, we should first be ready for rejection. Look at verse 12. He writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. See, Peter says, be ready for rejection because there are competing visions of peace. And throughout the New Testament, we read that Christians are to be ready for rejection. Are you ready for this? It's everywhere. Jesus in Matthew 10 says, you will be hated by all kinds of people because of me. Paul says to the, to the new converts in Thessalonica, he says, when we were with you, we kept telling you that you would be persecuted. And it has turned out that way, as you well know. John writes in 1 John three thirteen, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. James exhorts this, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Okay? But part of being ready is being wise. It's being wise. It's being, having right expectations. And Peter's saying, don't be surprised. Be ready to be rejected. Now, this is what's important now. Now, this is understand. This, these conflicting visions of peace, what's so important is to see that so often these visions of peace will have so much in common. So much in common. They will have many of the same values. What, what changes them, what makes, what makes them so distinct and what makes them in such opposition is the ordering of those values. The ordering of those values. Did Christians hate the emperor? No. They just, in fact, Peter exhorts them. He says, honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. So what was the problem? Well, the emperor demanded not simply honor. He demanded worship. 
Got that? So it wasn't just, yeah, you know, you know, do what your boss says. It was do what your boss says no matter what. See the difference? It's an ordering. Yeah, I'm going to honor the emperor. I'm not going to worship the emperor. Yes, I'm going to save money. I'm going to be wise. I'm not going to worship money and live for retirement. Yes, I'm going to seek to excel and do what's best in my job. No, I'm not going to find my identity and security in my job. You see that? It's the subtle reordering of priorities. It's like, well, I like work. Well, I like, the, I like politics. Well, we all like these things, but we like them in a different order. Writing almost 140 years after Peter, the church father Tertullian would write this. This is why Christians are public enemies. Because they will not give the emperors vain, false, and rash honors. Because being men of a true religion, they celebrate the emperor's festivals more in heart than in frolic. We're actually trying to bring, or we're actually trying to do the right thing and not just, just sort of show, have all this sort of external show of how much we love the emperor by our words. We're not tweeting how great the emperor is. We're just simply living honorable lives. See, Tertullian honors the emperor, but he won't worship him. And we find that all through our daily lives. For example, a great example of this, I remember a medical student who was once a, um, he was once a, in my congregation, and he was, he was spending time with an attending physician who was war, a world leader in the field that, they, that he was studying. He was a war, I mean, this guy was brilliant. And he had the opportunity to follow this guy around with his patients, and yet as brilliant as this guy was, he, was a, he had like no bedside manner whatsoever. So on the one hand, a Christian is able to say, you know, okay, I'm going to learn from this world, this world leader in this field, but what? I'm going to reject the way that he treats people. See that? That's being a Christian. It's being able to stop and parse out and, and show, okay, for, or another example would be one guy who was, he was part of a startup. He was an IT, brilliant um, a software developer. And like he was part of this, 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 um, this startup where basically like it was, they had promised the moon to their clients. And so it was like, we need everybody to work for like 100 hours a week. I mean, it was just insane hours. And he said, look, I'm married, I have kids. I'll give you this much time. I'll give you like 70. See, I'm, I, it's important to me, but it's not everything to me. It's not who I am. I'm not going to go along with this charade that somehow promises the moon to people we can't see. So, and they both of those persons experienced real rejection. Their, their, their vocations were suddenly at, at stake because they didn't bow the knee to the almighty boss. So my question for you this morning is, are you ready for rejection? Does everyone speak well of you? Okay. Go back to the illustration. What if you went in and sat down and started watching Airwolf with me and said nothing? Okay. So if we promote the peace of Christ, we should first be ready for rejection. But let me make a small note here. We should be ready for a rejection. This is encouraging. That will refine us. A rejection that will refine us. Look in, verse, look, look in verse 12 again. Peter says, Do not be surprised at the fire ordeal that has come on you to test you. And then later in verse 17, Peter writes, It is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. See, Peter sees our willingness to be rejected by the world as an indicator of our membership in God's family. Listen to this. This is so important. Nothing tells us who we really are 
until we're rejected. You discover what you really value when you are rejected. You're on the team, and all the rest of the players in the team are doing X. They're doing Y. And you won't do it. You're like, no, not doing that. Or you go along with it. See, you don't discover who you are until you are in the place of rejection. And guys, gangs, so often, Christians today in America, we're silent. We are silent. We are scared of being rejected. And this is what you say. Listen to me. If you get in a situation at work with your family, this is what you say. You say, you know what? Yeah, gang, I... I, I follow, I follow Jesus, the most influential person in human history, the one who is love, the one who is peace, the one who is welcome, the one who is hope. I follow him and I'm not ashamed. And if you're going to reject me, that's fine with me. That's what you say. If you don't want to be, if you don't want to share in that love, if you don't want to share in that, that's, that's your decision. But I am unashamed to follow Jesus. Got it? That's what you say. I've been in situations like that. You just say, look, unashamedly, I follow the one who is love, the one who is truth, the one who is peace, the one who gave his life for me. See, Peter, so Jesus, Jesus himself says the same thing, okay? He says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Again, are you ready to be rejected for Christ? Do all men speak well of you? So if we promote the peace of Christ, we should be ready for a rejection, a rejection that will refine us. But we should also be confident that in the midst, when we are rejected, when we are being rejected, persecuted, we should be confident. Look at verse 13. Peter says these beautiful words. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Here to rejoice not means so much be happy. Be, I'm so, so wonderful to be, un, to be rejected. That's not what he's saying. Here to rejoice means to be confident. It means to be unashamed. Right? You're being rejected by Darth Vader. That's a good thing. Right? You're like, yes. Okay? Does that make sense? But why are we to be comfort? We're to be comfort for two reasons. Because they are, their lives will, one, be patterned after Jesus, and two, empowered by God. Look at verses 13 to 14. Peter says, rejoice, that is be confident that you participate in the sufferings, that is in the rejection, in the humiliation of Christ, so that in the future you will be overjoyed when his glory, that is when his reign, when his renown is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for you are being empowered. The spirit of glory, the spirit of God rests on you. See, the pattern of Jesus' life was suffering under glory. If you want to capture Jesus' life in four words, it is from hero to, from zero to hero. That's how the Christian life is the pattern. We go from being rejected to reigning. So at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and giving him the Father's power and the Father's approval. And in those moments, this is so true, when you stand up 
to difficult family members, when you stand up to that difficult boss, that difficult colleague or coworker, that difficult classmate, that difficult teammate, when you stand up in that moment, when you stand up, I promise you, you will be empowered. It's the most amazing thing. Because what happens is you stand up and you don't care what people think anymore. That is liberating. And you feel a certain rush, a certain, that's right, I don't care what these other fifth graders think of me. I mean, come on, they're fifth graders. Jesus is on your side. And you, and you feel that sense of, like, I don't care what you all think. I'm going to do what is right. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of, of glory will rest upon you. So when rejected, what are they to do? They're to be confident. Why? Because their lives are patterned after Jesus. They're empowered by God. Just as Jesus said, he said, Jesus said, what do you when all men speak well of you? He also said this, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for this is how their ancestors treated the prophets. What an incredible promise. Do you believe that? Are you ready to be confident? Are you ready for rejection? Are you ready to respond with a confidence? I can remember one time we were doing the evening conversations that we've done like the summer, the summer evening conversations, but it was back in Durham, and we did it in a, in a public venue. And I can't remember what the issue was, but we were talking, there was a big crowd, and there were lots of Christians, non-Christians present. And at one point, halfway through, one of the tables uh, got up, like three or four, like four, three or four maybe even five persons, um, I didn't really know them, they were non-Christians, and they got up all at once, and they just yelled out some profanity, walked out, you know, and, and gave, gave me, show, showed me a, a middle finger on the way out. You know, and it was great, because everyone else in the room got to see that. They got to see it, and it was empowering, it was, it was clarifying. It's basically saying, hey, we disagree with you, and we don't, we don't, we don't want to dialogue with you anymore. We don't want to be in conversation with you. We, we know what's best. And it was just so weird, totally backfired on them. And even after that, the conversation went even better. Okay? So in response, we pursue, as we promote the peace of Christ, not our own peace. We should be ready for rejection. We should be confident because our lives are being patterned after Jesus. Rejection unto glory, zero unto hero. Right? But third, and this, and this is very important, this is like, this is crucial. We should not just be confident, we should be cautiously confident. See, being confident isn't the same as being cocky. It's not the same as being conceited. Because the, the very important question, just because we're a Christian doesn't mean we're right. Oh my goodness, Christians can be wrong. Christians can be part of the problem. We Christians, I as a Christian, in the midst of conflict, things can get very confusing and we can say stupid things. We say foolish things. And so Peter says that even when we're rejected, while we are to be confident, we should also be careful. Be cautious. Look at verse 15. He says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. He's saying, be confident because you're following Jesus, but be, be careful because you're not Jesus. So this is important. See, as a Christian, how do you know that you're on the right side? How do you know that you're promoting the peace of Christ? How do you know? 
Because I've, I've, had, I've had coworkers before. I was in the military. I had a coworker. He was a Christian. He had a cross in his, in his office, you know, all this like paraphernalia, listen to Joy FM or whatever it was. And that guy was, the, he was a lazy slob, horrible worker. You know, like, are you kidding me? Like, I have to work with you. And he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't proclaiming the peace of Christ. That wasn't, that wasn't what his life said. Peter's saying, watch out. If you suffer, suffer for what's right. Be rejected in the right way. And how you do that, listen, is how you do that, gang, is by having real people in your life who really know you. You got a difficult family situation. What do you do? You stop and you talk to a brother or sister in the Lord, a father or mother in the Lord who have wisdom. You say, look, it's complicated here. Maybe I'm, I'm trying to do what Christ would want me to do in this family situation, but I don't know what that looks like, frankly. Can you show me? Can you help me see more objectively? Or I, I, at work right now, I'm trying to do this, and, and it's a really complicated situation, lots of opposition, and I'm trying to do the right thing, but I'm not sure. And maybe I'm part of the problem. Maybe I need to own some things. I don't want to. I don't want to. But maybe I need so I So you invite people into your life. See, the only way that we can actually promote the peace of Christ is if we ourselves are accountable and if we ourselves are knowledgeable, accountable to God's people, knowledgeable of God's word. Okay, do you see how that works? So important that if we really are to promote the peace of Christ, we should be ready for rejection. We should be confident, but it should be a cautious confidence, being accountable to God's people, knowledgeable of his word. That's why I encourage all of you, if you're here long enough, to become members of this church, because to be a member of this church means that you are, in fact, accountable to the Lord. You're saying, you know what? I realize that I am so, my sin is so deceptive, my sin is so uh, uh, um, able to mislead me that out of love of God, out of love of Jesus, out of love for my own soul, out of love for my spouse and my kids, I'm going to actually be held accountable. I'm going to actually invite leaders of the church to come into my life, who to give them permission to perform invasive surgery that might at times be unwanted. Got that? That's what we're signing up for, to be a member of a church. Real accountability. So the church of Jesus Christ will not be filled with hypocrites. So to recap, we're almost done here. If we, could, if we are to pursue, if we're to promote the peace of Christ, we're to be ready for a rejection, a rejection that will refine us. And if we're rejected, we're to be confident because our lives are patterned after Jesus and empowered by God. But we should also be carefully, cautiously confident, willing to be accountable to God's people, knowledgeable of his word. And finally, we're to be convinced of God's care and control. We're to be committing ourselves to God's care and control. Look in verse 19. Peter concludes, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good, continue on. See, Peter invites rejected Christians to entrust themselves to their faithful creator. By calling God a faithful creator, Peter is speaking of both God's unmatched care and his unmatched control. His care means that we are God's idea. He made us, and God never makes junk. He is mindful of you. Even as the world is rejecting you, he says, you are mine. I know you inside out. I love you. I gave my son to die for you. 
He cares for you. And second, to speak of God as a faithful creator is to speak of God's control. He created all things, and that means he can recreate all things. It speaks of his control and of his wisdom. Now, many of you, uh, you probably probably don't remember her name anymore, but she was actually well-known in the news. Her name was Kayla Mueller. This this happened probably four, three or four years ago. Remember the whole crisis with ISIS? Crisis, that rhymes. Crisis with ISIS. Remember the the ISIS that was in uh, Iraq and and, and, and Iran and the whole debacle as as the Muslim um, caliphate was sort of re-resurrected, so to speak. Um, that it, was, it was quite a while ago, her family, uh, this, this woman, Kayla Mueller, she was a, um, basically like a missionary uh, over there, and her family said that it was received, or that they'd received confirmation of her death. She'd been taken captive by ISIS, and um, they, ISIS, the ISIS people, just, you know, they, put, put her, they, they um, put her to death. And they released a handwritten letter from Kayla that was written while she was captive This was in uh, the spring of 2014. Listen to these words. Because it speaks to a woman who has totally committed herself to the care of her faithful creator. Listen to these words. This is a, uh, uh, she's, I think, late, late teens, early 20s. Listen to this. She writes this. I remember mom always telling me that all in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. I have come to a place in my experience where, in every sense of the word, I have surrendered myself to our Creator because there was literally no one else. By God and by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled even in the midst of free fall. Those amazing words. She's in prison. She is going to die for her faith. And she can write that she surrendered herself to her creator, that she felt tenderly cradled even while in free fall. I have been shown, she continues, I have been shown in darkness light. And I have learned that even in prison one can be free. I am grateful. I have come to see that there is good in every situation. Sometimes we just have to look for it. I pray each day that if nothing else, you have felt a certain closeness and surrendered to God as well and have formed a bond of love and support amongst one another. If we would promote, if we would pursue the peace of Christ, Peter says, one, be ready for rejection. A rejection that will refine us. And if we are rejected, we are to be confident because our lives are patterned after Jesus. They're empowered by the Father, but we should also be cautiously, carefully confident, accountable to God's people, knowledgeable of God's word. And we're to be convinced, utterly convinced, committed, committing ourselves to God's care and his control. Now, who was more convinced of God's care and control than Jesus? As we go to the supper now, as Peter himself says, Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And we see this here. He committed himself to his care and control. 
Isn't that a beautiful thing? Jesus' last words. Are you ready for this? Jesus' last words were words of committing himself to his Father's care. He said these words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Listen, as we go to the Lord's Supper, and as you're waiting, maybe, maybe you, you come and stand in line here as you're waiting to stand in line, why don't you pray that prayer? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I surrender my life. I don't want to care what the world thinks about me anymore. I'm tired of being scared. I want to proclaim your name. I want to be a follower of Jesus publicly, openly. And I want to do that as I want to promote your vision of peace. I want to be confident, but not in a cocky way or a conceited way, in a humble way. This is who I want to be, praying to him. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So with that, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's go to the Lord now and uh, let's pray and we'll, we'll celebrate the supper together in this beautiful liturgy. Holy and gracious Father, how beautiful it is that it, it was in your love, your infinite love, that you made us for yourself. Father, the world may not want us, the world may reject us, but you desire to have a relationship with us. And yet when we had fallen into sin, when we had become subjected, utterly ruled by sin and by evil and death, you in your mercy sent our Lord Jesus Christ to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us in order to reconcile us to you. Father, we know that he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, saying, not my will, but your will be done. And he became a perfect sacrifice for the whole world, for persons of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, even the most vile and wretched among us. Father, it is his death that we now proclaim in this sacrament. And it is in his glorious, his mighty and merciful name that we pray. Amen.